Understanding is what it's all about, and I hope that you're understanding that we're here. We're here with you, and we're here every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We also hope that you will go to the podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Player FM, a lot of different places on the web, and also YouTube where you can watch these videos. I hope you'll subscribe to all of that good stuff so that every time I post a new interview, you will be notified and you can listen to our guests and what they have to offer in terms of changing the world and transforming it. That's a better way to put it, transforming the world better for the better for all of us, not just a select few. That's not what it's about, at least not from my perspective. My guest is returning after a couple of years, year and a half, two years, and it's great to have her back again. And we are going to talk about um, a set of cards, if you will, and there are more than that. Uh, Stephanie Redfeather, welcome back to Tell Me Your Story. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to have you back. I love your background with all the stars back there and how coincidental, actually it's not, that uh, your website, bluestar.org, is your website, Um, bluestartemple.org. I'm guessing that uh, that's the temple behind you (laughs) or the entrance (laughs) thereof. I love it. I think it's great. And uh, we can use all of the stars that uh, we can wish upon uh, to make our lives uh, better. Uh, and uh, those of the people around us. You uh, you first joined us some time ago uh, with a book that you had just released having to do uh, with uh, being an empath. And, uh, you know, it's, it is something that we all, I guess, I guess we do. Uh, I suppose you would know better than any of the rest of us uh, that um, basically would help us to uh, better make, you know, I guess navigate our own lives in terms of being an empath, the revolutionary empath, evolutionary empath back in 2020 golden, the 2020 golden winner, personal growth and, and self-help of the COVR visionary award. Congratulations on that, as well as bringing us uh, this particular work that we're talking about, but also you now have a set of cards that uh, you have, I'm going to put it this way, infused with your own energy, empath, empath activation cards. It's your, your highest anticipated new work uh, that uh, comes out, uh, that has, has come out 23rd of November. And you can go to her website. Again, that website is bluestartemple.org. And it is a card deck and guidebook. And it's Stephanie Redfeather, PhD. What's the PhD for? Well, I got my master's and doctorate in shamanic studies. So I, I have a doctorate of shamanic studies for what that's worth. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently it's worth something because you're utilizing it. And by the way, <clears throat> I went to a, a website you sent me a link to, to take a look at, I, I'm guessing it's the backs of the cards. Is that right? Um, oh, you mean the, to look at the digital version of the yes. cards? Yes, yes, yes. So the, oh, you the know, back of the card that everything is the same. But, you know, so that's so you can 
you know, turn them over, not know what they are and choose. So what you saw were each of the individual images of all 44 cards. Yeah. I, and I, I have to tell you, in looking at them, I had a different feeling, literally a different feeling from each card and each design, if you will. As a matter of fact, there was even one... Uh, I can't remember the name of it. They ha they do have names mm -hmm. that actually I didn't feel good about. In other words, it gave me kind of a uh, uneasy feeling. It was the only one. And I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I'd be curious to know what that was. <laughs> well, if I can find the link, I can pull it up. If I can remember uh, where that link is uh, to to the to the website that uh, that you shared. Yeah, and you can always share with me offline. Sure, well. sure, sure. Absolutely. Uh, probably better to do it that way. But I, I just, uh, what, but what struck me was not so much the feeling I had of that one card as much as, um, as much as, uh, uh, the fact that I was having a different response to each card, each back side. And I'm wondering if, if you've ever had anybody else who, not so much the backs, but maybe even as you're giving them a reading with these cards or, well, they're not, you wouldn't have yet because they haven't come out yet. But when you have shared in this regard, if you've ever had that kind of an experience where, you know, one card pops up, maybe it's the death card, which I think is a great card myself because it's a transformation in my, that's, that's the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, endings and beginnings kind of thing. My, some people, they see the death card, oh, my God, and it's like, calm down. <laughs> Talk. Yeah, I have had that experience. Um, I've, I've had a number of people look at the deck so that they could write uh, a foreword and endorsements, and I've had incredible responses to this deck, and, and I think one of the things that makes it potent is not only did I write the messages, but I created the art. And that's, it, it's not unheard of, but most of the time when you buy an Oracle deck, the artist is different than the writer. And so I think there's a, a cohesiveness and, a, and definitely my prayer when I wrote all of these and sat at my art table was for these to be activational, to, to be a channel that each of these images would hold coding like an individual prescription if you will for each person who interacts with those cards and messages yeah well i i have to say that the artwork <clears throat> of your empathy activation cards is is quite extraordinary in in that you have drawn all of these you have uh, and i'm curious as to what what the uh type of, uh, how was this done? Uh, watercolor, oil, um, right. mosaic yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> what, what, what did you do? Well, the originals are on eight by 10 canvases. And so these wow. were a combination of just acrylic paint, but also paint pens for some of the finer detailed work. And the, the theme that very clearly, um, came to me right at the beginning is circles and dots. So every single card has some form of circles and or dots 
that are specifically acting as those transmission devices of the, the activational frequencies. Hmm. And how did you come up with, I mean, how many different images are there? 44? There's 44. And traditionally, the, the smallest number of Oracle cards in a deck is 44. I've seen ones all the way up to 72. So part of it was just a practical decision of, I'm running out of time and I need to get this to my publisher. But, I, you know, I was also tuning into spirit, my guides and just listening. It's like, okay, does there need to be more? I will make more. And they said, no, 44 is it. I, I just think it's really kind of cool. Plus, um, you know, as a matter of fact, I've been, uh, uh, I finally found the link and so forth. And uh, just really, really, like I said, uh, it, 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 it fascinates me, like I said, uh, to, to see uh, these cards and how they, um, you know, how they uh, uh, can make one feel. And I'm not going to share with anybody. Uh, I'll share with you off off the program. But uh, it's just uh, it's just quite extraordinary. Um, matter of fact, what I'm going to do for those people who are <clears throat> uh, you can now see folks uh, in the video, her cards. I mean, beautiful, beautiful artwork. Now, these have nothing to do per se with uh, the um, uh, the cups and the wands and so forth, uh, right. or the higher arcana. These are these are literally the backs of the cards. Is that correct, or are these the front? Well, you know, it's funny. I some people call it the front, some people call it the back. I I had to get really clear with my publisher, so. To me, when I'm holding up my deck now, so I think of this as the back of the card, you know, that's, that all has the same image. So when they lay okay. face down, you know, when you're drawing the cards or shuffling I them or whatever, see. I think of that as the back. I think of the individual images as the front. I could be wrong. Okay. But that's what so, but, but this is different than a set of tarot cards. It is correct. Yeah. How this so? It's not a tarot deck. How so? Um, uh, because it doesn't um, adopt any of the major or minor arcana, it doesn't adopt, you know, there's a zillion different tarot decks out there that with different interpretations of the images, but it's, it's always two of cups, the four of wands, like you said, you know, the hanged man, the death card. This is, this is not based in tarot at all. These are all just messages channeled from spirit um, that, that, don't fall in a traditional tarot format. What I'm showing you and our viewers who are looking on YouTube uh, are two cards here. Uh, the first one, which is at the top, is uh, called 30, it's 38, and it's Sirius. I believe that's yeah. how it's pronounced. It is, yeah. And the and image. I just want to say those images are a little pixelated, I think, just because they're still loading on the website. So the images are much clearer than that. In right, life. right, right, right. Uh, but one of the things that I found interesting, and I'm zooming in just a little bit, the bottom of the card, you know what that looks like more to me than anything else? Mm -mm. A diagram of a circuit board. Oh, how interesting. And then 39 is mm -hmm. the uh, Pleiades. And there's another one that looks like the bottom portion of the card looks like a circuit board. Very interesting. I like that. But you're actually Bohemian 
Kabbalistic Bohemian symbols. There, there are, without going into too much esoteric information, there are a certain number of fixed stars. And so the ancient alchemists had symbols for each one of them. And so I did not make those up. Those symbols came from those royal Kabbalistic star symbols. Card number 44 is the great year. And then you go into the, uh, the, the book, you know, the, the little uh, book that'll come with uh, explanation, <laughs> as it were. Very, very fascinating. I love, I love this stuff. This is, this is very intriguing because it opens up, it opens up a, a realm for people to kind of look at these kinds of things. And, and of course, you've, you've, you, how would you say you, these images were channeled. Did they come from someplace um, other than deep within inside of Stephanie Redfeather? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because when I got my author's copy and, and finally held the deck in my hands for the first time, I had a really profound reaction to them, like barely could talk, hardly could breathe. I was so blown away by their energy. And I had a conversation with my spirit guides. I'm like, am I having an ego trip about this deck that I created? And they said, no. They said, you were the messenger. You were the channel. You were our hands. You were our voice. You know, what you're responding to came through you, but it came from us. And so they were like, it's, it's okay to have that reaction because it, it really came from a higher source. And, and like I said, that's, it's always my prayer when I sit down, when I wrote my book, The Evolutionary Empath, when I did this, that I, I sit down, center myself, call in my guides and just ask literally to be that channel. Let me bring through whatever wants to come through me to be of service. Hmm. You know, I've got, uh, I've got a, a, a several uh, drawing books of different sizes that I have drawn in over the years. I haven't of late, well, I take that back. There was a time back in uh, sep early September when I did a little drawing. Mine are more abstract, and what I do is I will create an initial shape that might be round, it might be a squared off kind of thing, like connecting the dots type of thing. And then I draw lines or what have you that creates spaces inside the area. And then I have one rule when I do that particular type of drawing or what have you. No two adjacent spaces can have the same or similar color. And I use colored or felt, felt tipped or colored pencils. Mm -hmm. And uh, it comes out as sort of a mosaic kind of looking thing. And, 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 and that's kind of fun. And I've seen uh, some of that. And I thought, oh, that's rather interesting. I'm, I'm going to have to somehow scan that in so I can use that. Uh, for example, uh, many of our listeners know that I am now, for the first time in my life, I am actually a songwriter. I've only written one song, <laughs> but I, 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 can, I guess I can actually say that. Um, and it's just one of those outlets uh, as I was going through a, a particular period in my life uh, that this, this song came out. And I'm thinking, okay, I like the images that I chose for the video, but, you know, what if I put some of these other things in there, you know, and somehow fit them you know it, it, it's just um, I'm just having a lot of fun with this kind of thing it's just really very cool yeah. we're talking with Stephanie Redfeather I'm Richard Dugan your host here on tell me your story new paradigms for a new world as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true I want to talk to you Stephanie Redfeather about first of all and I may have asked you this the last time you're on the program but it's been a while Redfeather 
Is that your given name or was that a name that was given to you? It is a name that was given to me. Uh, when I was having a healing session, I want to say it was 2006. I've kind of lost track, but it's been quite a while ago. I was doing a healing session with one of my shamanic teachers and mentors. And I was standing on a buffalo hide and had my eyes closed. He was taking me through a process. And all of a sudden, I had this very clear vision. And in front of me was... Uh, it was nighttime. It was in a valley. There was a, a Native American tribe. There was a fire. I, I was essentially in the fire. And there was a beautiful Native American man dancing in profile. And he had a full headdress, but all the feathers were red. And mm. all of a sudden, it just like blasted me. And I and I came out of the process we were doing to get my mentor's attention and said, I think I'm being given a name. <laughs> and so I told what happened and we, we shifted gears and we actually did this beautiful ceremony, this beautiful naming ceremony where we anchored it into the earth grid. And then when I got married in 2011, I took it on as my legal last name. You know, it's interesting how people will do that over the course of time. Uh, they will take on a, a name. And for a couple, for a year or two, back in 1999, <laughs> 2000, and so forth, I was known by another name. And I kind of liked the name. And I thought about, gee, should I change my legal name to this? What do you think is the what do you think is the 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 the, the impetus? Because uh, a lot of times, well, gee, you know, Richard, you, you look like a Richard, you know. <laughs> okay, why would you want to change your name when you you look like the name that you were given by your mother and your father? You know, no disrespect to mom and dad, but I don't think that, uh, you know, it fits anymore. I'm not saying that that's literally true. But in terms of our conversation here, I'm curious about uh, was there ever any thought whatsoever in that regard to, um, well, gee, you know, mom and dad named me this and this is the name I've been known by forever. And if I do change my name, you have any idea? the level of paperwork involved, you know, kind of thing. Right. Talk right. to me about that part of it, the very material part, but also the more spiritual or metaphysical aspect of someone taking on a different name. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born with the last name Reader. And when I got married to my first husband, his last name is Roth. And so I took on Roth as my last name at the time. And, you know, I think names have power. They have frequency and energy. And uh, I got divorced in 2006, but I still kept my last name of Roth. And so when I met my current husband, you know, I had evolved. I'd had my spiritual awakening. I had some different beliefs and views, and I no longer subscribed to the practice of taking the husband's last name. And my current husband's totally fine with that. And so I thought, okay, I don't want to bring my first husband's last name into my new marriage. I don't want to take my husband's last name 
and I feel complete with my maiden name. So I was like, spirits, uh, I need a last name. Hello. <laughs> you got one. And and I went through this whole process like, what? Red feather? Huh? What are people going to think? Oh, my God. You know, so I so I went through this whole process of, of, you know, just doubt and oh, my gosh, and all of that kind of stuff. And finally realized that it was an initiation that red feather carried the frequency the vibration of what i was stepping into and then i didn't have to know what that meant to do it because that's what initiation is right it's like trusting stepping through the portal and then the next steps are revealed it's not the opposite where you get to know everything in advance and then make a decision and do it right it's a it's a leap of faith if you will trusting trusting the energies that are calling you forward and so you know, for anybody contemplating it, I, I think it's a very personal choice. Uh, I went by the name Red Feather in spiritual circles for a number of years as an informal name. And uh, the, you know, my marriage kind of, I don't want to say forced to the point, but it brought it to the surface of, okay, it's time to make a choice here. And the right choice for me was to take that on as my legal last name, which is a side commentary I find is fascinating that I had to do a separate legal process to do that. When you, when you find the marriage paperwork, if I was going to take my husband's last name, then that marriage paperwork would have sufficed. But because I was doing a different last name, I had to go through a whole separate legal process. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, and, and I do have to say, and, and I, you know, the laws are what they are. Uh, when I went through my first divorce <clears throat> before, you know, I, I, I one of the things that I, I wanted to have done because I just didn't feel good about it internally was I did not want my former wife to have my last name, my family's last name, but there was nothing I could do about it. That was her choice. Primarily because the way it worked out, she sued me. I didn't sue her. And I found out it was a lawsuit. A divorce is just that. It is a lawsuit from a legal standpoint. Uh, but you know what? It is what it is. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, it, it gets me to wondering sometimes how happy uh, people are sometimes, in this case, my former wife, with their last name and or with their family. Maybe there's uh, situations where, you know what, I don't want to, just like what you just referred to about your former husband, your ex-husband, what have you. I don't want that. I don't want to carry that into my new life, you know, and so on and so forth. We're talking with Stephanie Redfeather, and uh, I'm glad that we are. Uh, we uh, want you to go to her website, which is bluestartemple.org. Check out the Evolutionary Empath. I want to talk more about empathy here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're talking with Stephanie Redfeather, and um, her book, The Evolutionary Empath, of course, is a bestseller, an international bestseller, award winner as well. And uh, we had you on several years ago. Uh, talking about this book, empathy, um, interesting concept, uh, and I say concept only because I have I have known and lived with my present partner, my present wife uh, is an empath. However, she did not know this until maybe five or ten years ago. We've been together for twenty three. Kept wondering what does what is going on? I, what's wrong with me? I, I keep feeling this way and that way and the other way, and it's driving me crazy. She would be crying and carrying on and so forth. And I didn't know, but I I kept telling her, and maybe this was uh, from my inner voice. 
I said, it's not you. It's them not making the connection between them and uh, being an empath. And it turns out it was them, you know. Now, how do you how do you protect yourself mm-hmm. when you're in a crowd of people? You're you're not you're in a workspace. So you're wherever you are where there are other human beings and sometimes I guess it doesn't matter whether you're anywhere near other human beings, that energy is just going out. How do you protect yourself cuz that would you know, it's it darn near did drive her crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is one of the most important first steps. When, when an empath becomes aware that she or he is an empath, the conversation in our head usually turns to, oh my God, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> ah, yeah. And, and so, cause for most of us in our unconscious years, we have no idea that we are so sensitive that it's easy. Our superpower is blending and merging with other people. So the, the uh, you know, the other side of that coin is it is very difficult for us to figure out where we end and the next person begins. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to understand that the idea of boundaries and what I call energy hygiene, it's a process. So it's not a switch that you just flip and okay, the boundary is up. Everything's good. Now it's something that you have to develop an awareness of and do a regular maintenance of. But, but the first thing that I tell people is you need to become aware of, or start to visualize, or if you're not a visual person, use whatever sense works for you, your energetic container, your sovereign field, right? What, however you think of it. I had a client that thought of it as her hamster ball rolling around on the floor. You know? so it's, <laughs> it's, good. it's whatever works, but, but that concept then gives you access to the understanding of I get to choose where I end and the next person begins. I get to choose who and what I let into my field. And if something creeps into my field without my knowing, then it's my job to clear it, release it, ground it, etc. And there's tons of practices for doing that. I know that it was suggested that one protective measure wouldn't completely shield you, but it was helpful, was uh, smoky quartz crystal. Mm-hmm. And I work, yeah, I work with the crystal and mineral kingdom quite frequently. My favorites for protection, which are almost all of them simultaneously are good for grounding as well, are any of the black or metallic stones, which are also associated with the first chakra. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so those are like one of my favorites is black tourmaline, uh, but is soon as gabbro came onto the market uh, and shungite those are also right up there with my favorites that i use quite a bit and so you know you a person can wear it as a necklace or a bracelet or carry a stone in their pocket uh, but these are also living sentient beings and so it's important to understand that they need to be cleared too right so if they're serving in the capacity of helping to absorb dense and disharmonious energies for you those stones or whatever you're using need to be cleared as well so that they can be as high functioning as possible. What other modalities do you utilize in facilitating, supporting someone, helping them in their transformational process? Mm -hmm. 
I have a lot of tools. Uh, I started out with Reiki, so I'm a Reiki master. I mm. taught it for over mm. 10 years. I use, yep, I use Reiki <laughs> a lot. Um, crystals and stones. I have a lot of training in uh, shamanic practices. I study a and practice in a Peruvian tradition called the Pachacuti Mesa tradition. And so there's cord cutting processes, soul retrievals, you know, limpias, which is kind of another name for a, a deep cleansing. Uh, I also have some more, mm, I wouldn't call it talk therapy, but I'm trained in voice dialogue, which is a way of talking to different parts in your psyche. So it kind of feels like talk therapy, but it's, it's way more, somatic, if you will, experiential than that. Mm -hmm. um, I use ceremony. I use guided journeys. So really, I, I don't have a specific protocol. I, I listen to and tune into uh, the person that I'm working with and, and listen to my guides and their guides as to what feels like the right thing to support them. Mm. Well, uh, Stephanie Redfeather is my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we are going to continue our conversation with her. Uh, I want to talk more about <clears throat> the aspects of uh, some of the other realms within, as I like to put it, the context of metaphysics or spirituality here on Tell Me Your Story. Stay tuned. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, we're talking with Stephanie Redfeather. One of the things that I'm very intrigued by are the different aspects of spirituality and many of the different things that people experience. I had a gentleman on the program several years ago, and um, he's a born-again, Bible-believing Christian, and yet he also practices, and I found this fascinating, out-of-the-body experiences. He actually induces these experiences to which I asked him, I said, now, wait a minute. I'm pretty familiar with the Bible. I've read it a few times. I don't know nowhere in that Bible that you are allowed to practice out of body experiences until you die. And I'm, you know, and he says, I, don't, I have no, I don't know if it does or doesn't. All I know is I like doing it. It, it, and I said, you know, I asked him about, you know, do you ever not want to come back? Said, oh, no, 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 no. Um, and I found that so interesting. I want to talk to you a little bit about that in terms of that being something or something akin to it, okay? Embodiment, disembodiment, that kind of thing, that, uh, that we might incorporate into our transformational process and why that would be something of, of a good thing for us to to experience, if again, if we are led to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a lot to say on the matter. So, <laughs> you go, girl. You go. <laughs> One of the the pillars of my work is actually embodiment, and I, I had an experience a number of years ago that just really brought it front and center for me. And and what came to me was so many kind of the, the traditional spiritual teachings, even um, some schools of tantric practice, uh, a lot of, of the religious dogma, they, they all point towards in some way or another, the, the upward 
movement of energy, right? We want to transcend the body. We want to transcend the human emotions. And, you know, some of them that even say that the flesh is weak, the body is sinful, desires are of the devil, what, you know, whatever that is, it's, it's always this focus on leaving the body, connecting, going up high out of the body. And so there's a lot to say there that we don't have time to get into. So I'm, I'm wildly summarizing. That's fine. But so, so many of those practices take us out of our body. And to a certain extent, those practices are important. If you're, if you're looking at a well-balanced human slash spiritual practice, we're going to have meditation, out-of-body experiences, peak experiences of, of you know, rapture or, or ecstasy, but if that's all we do and nothing else, that was the epiphany that I had is what is the point of coming into a human body if all we're trying to do is leave it again, <laughs> right? There, there has to be some reason that we chose to come into the body. And so a lot of my practices focus on getting in the body, not because, quote, leaving it for these aesthetic practices or, or upward directed practices is wrong, but to create balance because there's, there's not enough of the embodiment practices. And so that there's, there really is a disembodiment epidemic in the world. Uh, and so there's a, again, there's a whole lot more I could say about that, but being in the body, there's a, there's a reason we chose to come onto planet earth, to incarnate in a human body, to have the human experience so I feel like it's not about leaving the body as much as it is bringing our spirituality all the way down into our body and grounding it into the earth plane. You know, I find that interesting because part of my challenge a few, uh, well, six months to a year ago over the period of a few years back was uh, the construct and that's how I view it, the construct of dualism. Now, you, you actually addressed uh, where I, I am kind of coming from in that the ancient, all, most all the ancient wisdom teachings tell us where we come from, the one. And uh, they also tell us where we're going to, the one. And so I would ask the same kind of question that you just posed. Well, then what the heck are we doing here in this dualistic world? And it wasn't until I began to take a look at the macrocosmic and microcosmic worlds. And macrocosmic, and I've talked about this many times on the program, you look out through, let's just say, the Hubble telescope, and you're watching the universe just going wild. Things are moving around and crashing and exploding and changing and, and, and imploding and this and that and the other thing. And we, as human beings, as spiritual beings having human experience, we go, wow, kind of like watching fireworks. When you look at the microcosmic world, it's the same reaction. Wow, that is wild. There is no judgment of any kind by the universe on itself. It's just doing what it's doing. So I'd say, well, then why are we judging this level of existence where we live? And it then dawned on me, 
There is no dualism. Things just are the way they are. And it's like that Chinese story. I mean, maybe you're familiar with it about the farmer and his son. And the neighbor comes over and asks, well, how are things going today? And the farmer starts telling them the story. And each day he responds differently, the, 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 the neighbor, to the story. He says, oh, that's good. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's bad. And the farmer's reaction is the same every time. Who's to say whether it's good or bad? And that's really how I have finally come to my own personal understanding. And everything that I talk about from my perspective is for me, not for anybody else. And if you want it, that's fine. But I'm not putting it on anybody else. That's not why I'm here. But I finally realized things just are the way they are. And people wonder why when I'm going through what they perceive as rather tumultuous times, why I am so happy, why I am so excited, why I am so optimistic. It's because this is just, hey, pff, this is temporary. None of this is permanent. Okay? You know, um, let's just go back a few, you know, 100 years or so. World War I, temporary. The, 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 uh, the what, what did they call it? Uh, the 20s? Um, oh, the my God. The Roaring the, 20s? The, the, the Roaring 20s, temporary. The Depression, temporary. World War II, temporary. Um, you know, and the list goes on. The, the, the 60s, sexual revolution, temporary. Uh, disco. <laughs> Unfortunately, temporary. <laughs> and don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying either way that it was good or bad. I'm just saying it was temporary. Um, and, and administration after administration, temporary. And on and on and on. And life is temporary. So that's kind of where I've been coming from. From, And it sort of dovetails off of what you were just talking about. Uh, change is not just inevitable. It's the, the one constant in the universe. I'm curious about your thoughts in regards to change. Mine is we need to embrace it. We need to love it. We need to encourage it. And we need to make it our friend. Yeah, what that makes me think of is the concept of surrendering, which um, I used to suck at. <laughs> for, for anybody who plays with astrology, I have four planets in Scorpio, so I have a really strong will. <laughs> and I spent 10 years as an Air Force officer. And so in my earlier life, I was very good at forcing and making it happen and by godding and shoving that square peg in that round hole. And a big part of my spiritual awakening, one of the ways I describe it is reclaiming the feminine. And the feminine understands the, the nature of change, flow. The feminine understands grace and moving with bending like the willow, if you will, as opposed to the the rigidness of the oak tree, which also has its own benefits. And so for me, I, you know, surrendering is about understanding that I have my will. I have what I wish would happen or want to happen. And then there is what is happening. So how can I make peace with that? What can I, where can I affect change and where do I need to accept what's happening and bend and sway? Mm. We're talking with our very special guest, and she has joined us. Where are you all? Where, where are you located? 
Yeah, I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking time out there. And uh, I guess they call it the breadbasket. Yep, the Midwest. The Midwest. Now, there, there's an. I, I love terminology, and of course, we're, I'm always talking about how words have power. And I find this fascinating. We can talk about the East Coast, Eastern Seaboard. All right. And we can talk about uh, the eastern part of the country. We can talk about, I live in California, Santa Barbara, the western part of the country. There's the southwest. You just referred to the Midwest. The Midwest. Whatever happened to the Mideast? I know. <laughs> I, you know? <laughs> right. There's no mid-north or mid-south. No, yeah, you know? Exactly. <laughs> I just, I, you know, it just, it's kind of quirky, almost along the lines of something that uh, comedian Stephen Wright said the other day, I just thought was the most hilarious thing, which most of the stuff he says is just, it's, they're brain teasers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I just had flashbacks of deja vu moments. <laughs> I love it. We're talking uh, with, St- <laughs> no, we're not talking with Stephen Wright, maybe one day. Uh, we're talking with Stephanie, Stephanie Redfeather. She is our guest here on the program. We're talking about uh, empathy. We're talking about uh, a lot of different things as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and <clears throat> I want to ask you, uh, Stephanie Redfeather, what about the concept, uh, and some would probably say the reality of, uh, past lives, reincarnation, and I know that it's written about in many of the ancient wisdom teachings, including including the Bible and or at least many of the apocryphal. I always find that term rather interesting because it was a bunch of guys who decided what would be in what is the, uh, the uh, Protestant version of the 66 books. Uh, and I've seen the criterion that that each book had to pass. There's one book in the Old Testament, doesn't belong there. That's the Song of Solomon. Uh, and I've read the Song of Solomon, and it's all basically about sex, you know? But it doesn't meet the criterion for all of the other books. But anyway, that, that aside, throughout ancient times, reincarnation was a real thing. It was something that uh, people really felt very strongly about, not to the extent, un- uh, unlike the Catholic Church in the early days, they didn't think, oh, I can slough off this, this lifetime because I'm coming back again and I can, I can go good next time. I'll, I'll do bad this lifetime and then I'll be good the next one. That's not how people looked at it. Um, so it's very interesting. But what about this aspect of uh, past lives? Mm-hmm. And I absolutely honor people's beliefs who don't believe in reincarnation or past lives. For me, it's absolutely true. Uh, And the way I think of it is that before each lifetime, my soul is making a choice of, do I want to be a man or woman? What country do I want to be born in? What year? Who's going to be my mom and dad? What are going to be the major movements? You know, kind of setting up these, these sort of major pieces for the the growth and experience of my soul. And so I truly believe that in each lifetime, if there's anything unresolved from a past life, or if there's any trauma or wounding that didn't get healed, it will, it will come through and it will, it will have an effect. And I, I can give a real life example uh, two years ago, when my book, The Evolutionary Empath, came up, I 
started having this experience of I couldn't catch my breath. I had trouble breathing. My throat felt tight. My chest felt tight. This was on a Monday when my Evolutionary Empath podcast launched. And by Thursday, I was locked down. I couldn't function. Uh, I called upon a particular friend. Uh, I knew what technique I needed to support me and immediately went back to a past life. And I've never had this much clear detail. Uh, the late 1700s, where I was a young woman, we were in a community descended from the, uh, the uh, Puritans, and I had been drowned for speaking out. And so with, the, with my first book about to go out in the world in a big way, this past life trauma got triggered. Same thing again with my empath activation cards, a different past life where I was part of a secret order that practiced, um, you know, high level consciousness practices and, and mystery school practices. It was my sole contract in that lifetime to take those teaching, teachings public. And the church found out, they confiscated my work and locked me up. And so with this deck coming out, all of that fear came welling up. And so I was able to, to work through it and, and bring that to resolution. So for me, I have no doubt <laughs> that, that I have had past lives and that they have a real effect. Ah, tis a witch, cast her out and burn her at the stake. I have been burned at the stake, too. <laughs> I, <laughs> I find it interesting when they have these television programs and movies about that period of time. And, of course, history has shown us what actually caused the hysteria, not amongst those who were accused, mind you, but amongst the, the accusers was due to a mold that caused hallucinations uh, when they would eat the bread that was made from the grain. I haven't heard that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, like, that makes sense because they didn't have uh, a lot of, uh, you know, preserving aspects, you know, and it didn't take much. And it would go throughout the entire container, if you will, of, of the grain that they had stored uh, until they finally realized that apparently science has done some research. They went back to that area and I guess dug up some of these things. Then they found this mold. And this mold causes uh, hallucinations that could be interpreted as, oh, you're doing whatever it is you're doing. And I thought that was real interesting. We're talking with uh, Stephanie Redfeather. Stephanie Redfeather's website is bluestartemple.org. Where does the Blue Star Temple come from? Yeah, so a number of years ago, I, I felt that the, the name and the structure of my business was shifting. And so I was madly petitioning the universe. What, what is the unifying theme? Where, where are you leading me? What do I need to do? Hmm. And I was falling asleep one night and was startled awake with the phrase Blue Star University. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, a university. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. You know, and so I'm, you know, and then 10 seconds later, I'm like, what? A university? How am I supposed to do that? But, you know, all of that stuff that happens, you get excited. And then all of a sudden you're like, how am I going to do that? So, so you know, I, they let me stew in that for a few days. And then they said the first step is Blue Star Temple. 
which, you know, I don't know. I still don't know where all this is headed, if it's going to be brick and mortar, if I'm going to create a nonprofit or a church, or if I'm going to have land somewhere, I'm just doing each step as it's shown to me. But um, I have a very strong connection to the star relatives. And I feel that I have had many incarnations on the star Sirius. And so the main association with blue star is the star Sirius, but it also weaves in the energy of our earth, which is a blue star or blue, blue planet. Uh, and the same with Venus, uh, because I do a lot of work with the divine feminine teachings as well. So all of those energies are enco encoded in blue star temple. Hmm. Stephanie Redfeather, bluestartemple.org is the website. This is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for staying with us here on the program, which uh, you can watch on YouTube at the Tell Me Your Story uh, website. Make sure you look for the guy with the black hat. Well, it kind of looks black in this picture, uh, but it's also Richard Dugan, and you can't miss it. I did find Stephanie. There is another Tell Me Your Story up on YouTube, so got to make sure you go to the right one. And uh, also on the podcast, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations. You said you have a Blue Star podcast. Tell us about the the uh, genesis of that and, and the basic focus. It would be maybe along the same lines of what we're talking about, right? Um, well, it's actually, it's not an ongoing podcast. Uh, it is a, yeah, it's a 12-episode podcast okay. that I launched when my evolutionary empath book came out and so it's all content related to being an empath and it's got experiences and tools and all of that kind of stuff so it is uh, still available on my website but it's not an ongoing podcast okay well that's fine uh so the subject matter within that 12 apart uh program what would that be? Uh, yeah it just you know following along but not just not regurgitating what's in the book, but talking about the fact that empaths are here for the cosmic mission, that we're not an accident, we're not crazy, that we are here to help humanity ascend to the next level of consciousness. I talk about why we're an anomaly in Western medicine and Western culture. I talk about practical things like boundaries and energy hygiene, embodiment, and uh, the, the whole realm. Oh, please talk to us. I've never heard this term before, energy hygiene? Yes. So it's basically like if you think of your physical hygiene, right? You got to brush your teeth, take a shower and brush your hair and all of those sorts of things. So energy hygiene comprises the practices that we need to do on a daily basis to keep our energy field clean. So smudging, all these different ways of clearing energy. You can use deep breaths. You can kind of use your hands or a tool to brush yourself off. You can do guided visualizations. You can do work to, um, uh, you know, etherically, if you will, in your mind's eye, make repairs to and restore the integrity of your energy field. So all of these things fall under the concept of energy hygiene. Well, it does sound like a, a good idea, obviously. Uh, I know that uh, uh, for myself, it's it's one of those things that I hadn't even thought of, but it makes sense. Um, and I know that in order to keep ourselves well, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, there are certain things like 
listening to that still small voice that I want to talk to you about now, because we encourage people here on this program to participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. We encourage people to go within, to listen to that still small voice, just to be, to be quiet, to find that quiet, calm, peaceful place, and just to relax, to re-energize, to rejuvenate, to receive encouragement, uh, insight, enlightenment, uh, maybe even a little entertainment. I have never known uh, my friend, that is how I refer to my still small voice, ever to put me in harm's way. Kind of ticked me off from time to time with some of the direction. I was traveling to work <clears throat> one day on a bicycle back in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was bicycling through farm fields, not actually through them, but they had the roads, and the blocks were one mile square. So I'm bicycling on to the transmitter site where the broadcast site was. And all of a sudden I get this prompting at the next intersection, turn right. And I'm just, what? No, 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 no. I kept on going. I went past the intersection. And the impulse got stronger and stronger and stronger. I went a half a mile. And it wouldn't go away. So I, I literally turned around. I went back to that intersection. Of course, in this case, I made the left. I went the direction that I was asked to, went up a, a mile, went over a mile again, went back down a mile, back to the same street I was on, <clears throat> and continued on my way. The only explanation was that my friend was testing me to see if I was serious about following the promptings. Now, I could have continued on, and I probably would have had no harm. But that, to me, was one of those tests saying, do you really trust me? Are you really going to follow the promptings? I'd like for you to talk a little bit, or a lot about, we've got plenty of time, talk to us about that still small voice, because you listen to it, but there are other voices that you listen to, too, and, and, and not to be kidding around here, the angels and your guides and so forth, and, and I'd like for you to... Uh, talk a little bit about that as well and how you differentiate between your still small voice, whatever that may be for you, and those other entities, the angels and guardians and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. The way I think of that still small voice, it is the voice of what is right and true for me. It's what is in my highest good and highest alignment. And so honestly, the still small voice is directly connected to all of those entities. It is directly connected to my higher self, my spiritual team, my angels and guardians. And so in that way, I don't differentiate, you know, I might call them different things. I might say, well, my, I was talking to my guides or I was listening to my intuition, but, but to me, they're all working symbiotically together. Uh, and so that's kind of the simple answer of how that works for me. <laughs> okay. All right. And the, 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 the angels, guardian angels, whatever the other entities are <clears throat> that support you, um, uh, how were you introduced to them? How did they come into your life to support you and, and guide you along with the rest of the crew? <laughs> yeah. Well, it took my spiritual awakening for me to come to a place where I could acknowledge them, be okay with them, recognize that they were there and develop a relationship with them. So before my spiritual awakening, I didn't really 
feel their presence probably because I just, uh, you know, I wasn't conscious. I wasn't aware. Maybe I was just in my ignorance or I had fear. You know, I, I was born and baptized Lutheran. By the time I got to high school, I had moved with my moved in with my dad and stepmom. And so I, I was experimenting. My best friend was Baptist. So I went to Baptist church. My art teacher who also led like a, not a Bible study, but like a devotional before school started, he was um, Pentecostal. So I tried that church and went to charismatic. So I, even before I had the language, I was seeking and by the time I got to college, I was like, okay, I don't have this sorted out. And at this point, I'm just going to put it on the back burner. And when it's time for me to figure this out, I will figure it out. <laughs> you know, and so I, I kind of had this, uh, this understanding that I haven't always been with them, but they have always been with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I've had some rather interesting experiences of my own where... You know, there are certain instances where there's part of me that says I shouldn't be alive today if it weren't for those angels. Uh, one was a bicycle accident where I, uh, I, was, I was in total violation of the law. I was riding on the left-hand side of the road, coming home after delivering Sunday papers, and I, I, the light was green for me. There was a Toyota truck with a little camper on top. He wasn't looking my way. He was looking to his left to see if there was oncoming traffic. And he pulled out very slowly, I might add, and rolled right on top of me in the bicycle. Now, because of the metal baskets that were on my bicycle, I was actually able to crawl out from under the truck and my bicycle. And I scared him half to death when I rapped on his window. Because he was sitting on the accelerator and he couldn't figure out why his car wasn't going because he didn't know he had hit me. Mm. No harm, no foul. I mean, my bike was, was dented up, but it wasn't his fault. And uh, then there was one time, even when I was younger, we were traveling in Sedona. And there's this beautiful church. I believe it's called Church in the Rock. And it has this beautiful wall, concrete wall that you, you, know, that you walk up alongside. Well, I'm a little kid. I'm thinking, I'm going to walk up on top of this wall. Now, <clears throat> I love my mother dearly, but I've shared this story before, and they say your mother did this to you in a manner of speaking because she said, Richard, get down from there. You're going to fall. And that's exactly what happened. I fell face first into the dirt. Big puff of dust went up, knocked the wind out of me. No injury other than that. Uh, but uh, that was another one of those instances where I must have been looked after in some fashion because... Uh, uh, you know, those are the those are the kinds of things that kids get into. And you think, how in the world did you survive? Well, I can only say it must have been the angels because they knew that, like you, you know, I've got this purpose that I've got to fulfill and I can't do it if I'm not here. <laughs> so it's very fascinating. Stephanie Redfeather, I, uh, I'm curious as to... The connection that you have uh, with uh, with the Native Americans, I struggled for years because I didn't think I didn't want to intrude. I mean, I grew up in Phoenix and I was surrounded by all those reservations and everything. Right. And then I do my DNA and I find out uh, <clears throat> I am Native American from all the North, Central and Southern Americas. And it's like, oh, 
That's why I was curious, but I wouldn't because I didn't want to intrude because I didn't think I belonged. And guess what? I belonged all the time. I've been through a sweat lodge. Unfortunately, I didn't make it to the end, uh, but it was okay. They were very supportive. Uh, I've always been intrigued by the culture, by the medicine, by the life, by how con they are connected to nature and they, they know what's happening. They know what's coming and so forth. Tell me about your experiences with uh, the Native American uh, culture, if you will. Yeah. Well, it, it might be surprising to know that as far as I know, I don't have any Native American blood in this lifetime. But when I was young, I, I know that I was recalling past lives because I, I drew all the time and all of my pictures were of horses and Indians. And whenever I would play with the local kids, you know, cowboys and Indians, I was always the Indian. I had feathers and tomahawks and teepees and all of those things. And I don't mean to trivialize it, mm -hmm. but, you know, at, at the, the consciousness of a, of a very young person. Yeah. Where did all of that come from? You know, yeah. like just the, you know, wanting to always be out in nature and climbing trees and playing with rocks. And there, there was something that was naturally expressing that I was naturally drawing on. And so during my spiritual awakening, I was just drawn to um, indigenous traditions, native practices, because it just, it resonated. So I'm not, you know, I know cultural appropriation is a big hot term mm -hmm. and I've been accused of that by having the last name that I have, but I, you know, my, the teacher of the Peruvian tradition that I practice, his name is Don Oscar Miro Quesada. And he calls it basically, you know, universal shamanism. Yeah, and and yeah. the way that he teaches it and the way that he encourages everyone to practice is that it does, you know, you can be a white girl from Illinois. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. You know, it is it, these heart-centered, earth-based wisdom traditions are for everyone. It's it is how we all used to live in harmony with the earth. Mm. And as things evolved and changed, certain cultures that we now refer to as the indigenous cultures were able to preserve those traditions while others of us, you know, went to, to other uh, practices of religion or spirituality. So for me, it's just, it's just, it feels natural. It feels right. Yeah. I was paid a, uh... I don't know if it was a compliment necessarily, and I'm not saying backhanded by any means. I had the opportunity of interviewing a, a Chumash Indian or Chumash Indian here in uh, Santa Barbara. He lives here. And uh, we did a, an entire program or two out at the beach, a uh, little digital recorder and a couple of microphones. And we just talked about just like what, what we're doing here. Only we were out there sitting in our beach chairs chatting away. And uh, I asked him about uh, the indigenous peoples uh, of this of this area, especially in modern days. He says, well, the new Shumash are you. He was talking to me, but he was also talking to the rest of the population who are wanting to connect, who are wanting to carry on uh, the what I will use the term because it, even though it's overused, the sustainable lifestyle that the Native Americans, North Central and South American, 
uh, have lived with and lived by for, I'm going to say centuries. I don't, I don't have the history information. And I, w- I was just kind of taken aback, like, wow, that's a heavy responsibility too, you know? But yeah. I'm willing to take it on because it says, okay, let's make a change. And, and I hear the arguments, especially when it comes to uh, what's happening to the planet and climate change and the science. And to be honest with you, I never want to talk about those things. What I want to talk about is cleaning up our home. That's what I'm talking about. If it results in, in, in something beneficial, great. But we've made a mess. We, you know, you're not supposed to defecate where you eat. And quite honestly, that's what we do. Animals don't do that. And yet we do. And I don't necessarily mean that literally. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the reason that I feel so strongly about uh, taking that on. Uh, and I'm honored that he, he said that. And I think that you are in the same category, especially being there in Kansas. I'm sure that there were a lot of uh, tribes on reservations around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I would like to share also that one of my other teachers, Linda Starwolf, talks about shamanic consciousness. And that that is um, one of her gifts to the world is really helping everybody understand that we all have shamanic consciousness, even more than a shamanic tradition or a shamanic lineage. We are all shamanic beings. You know, we are all capable of tuning into the different realms and receiving guidance and communing with other sentient beings and the subtle energies and, you know, that everything is alive and sentient and that everything is communing, whether you realize it or not. And so, you know, to me, that transcends any particular religion or spirituality or native tradition or whatever, that that we are all shamanic beings, whether we um, apply that or believe it or not. Yeah. And, and I would agree with you on that. And I think that's one of the things that <clears throat> tends to sort of frustrate some people uh, is, is the fact that, uh, yeah, okay, you, you say it's uh, appropriating. I don't agree with you on that. I don't say that it's appropriating anything. I think that what it is is it is... Um, wanting to carry on those traditions, being respectful of where they come from. You talked about using ceremony. Now, I was born and raised Catholic. So you being uh, uh, born and raised Lutheran, we, we could have a real problem here, you know. But <laughs> we don't. We do not. Um, but the one thing my mother did for me was she did not force me to go to Mass. One Sunday morning, I get home from delivering the papers, uh, and I didn't want to get up at 9 o'clock to go to Mass. And she said, okay. Years later, in my 20s, I asked her why. She says, because I didn't want you to push away from the church, which I did not. Now, I, I don't even consider myself a lapsed Catholic. I consider myself having moved on to the next level. It's like when I told somebody about my search. They said, well, once you find Jesus... Your search is over. And I said, actually, once I find Jesus, my search has just begun. Um, and it continues. Uh, I, I, I hope I never stop searching. Uh, the only time I will ever stop searching 
is when I leave this world. Or as, as Bernie Siegel, who has been on this program, has said many times, he says, he says don't use the word transform or, or, or uh, uh, pass on. He, he, he was talking about his wife who had, who had died. Says, she died. What's wrong with saying the word die? And I said, well, because this has a lot of negative connotation to it. He says, but that's what happened. They died. So the only time I'll stop searching in this lifetime is when I die. Uh, thank you, Bernie. Uh, he is such a wonderful man. But um, I take it that your, your search continues as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, I, I heard a saying a long time ago that the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> and, and that is the truth. You know, I have a PhD. Okay, so what? I mean, there is, I am a ravenous student. And there are times that I just feel like, oh my God, how am I going to get to everything I'm supposed to do in this lifetime? There's so much to, to learn or remember, if you want to think of it that way. Um, but yeah, it, it, one of the practices that's very important to me in my work is I, I don't live my life as an open book, but I'm, I, you know, I choose where to be transparent just because I, you know, need mm -hmm. some privacy. Right. But whenever I go through some kind of ordeal or epiphany or healing experience or symbolic death and rebirth, as soon as I have it processed and metabolized, I am offering its nuggets to the people that I serve. You know, the, the story that I told you about the, the past life where I was, it was my sole contract to bring secret teachings out to the world. You can bet, you know, it's still fresh for me, but you can bet I'm going to write a story about it. I'm, it's going to, it's going to become medicine. And so that, that is one of the ways that I, that I, dedicate it's not even a conscious choice it's just what what my calling compels me to do that as soon as i've learned something grown had an epiphany i am passing it on and sharing it because i'm i haven't arrived i'm not done you know and so i i think it's important to to be an example for for people and i appreciate the mentors that i have that were willing to be vulnerable and show those parts of themselves and not stand up on the stage as though they are perfect and porcelain, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, you know, I've even thought about that in terms of, okay, what's going to be my place in history? Uh, you know, I used to think about this many years ago and I was chatting with a good friend of mine, Charlie Patton. He's actually related to the general and, um, you know, we were sitting there talking one day and he said, oh, I, I know my role. You know, I'm going to be known internationally and this and that and the other thing. And I, I, I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. But it was just real interesting, the conversation that we had, um, because we do try to find our place in the universe. We try to find our position. And sometimes the ego tends to, you know, want a little bit more than what's really supposed to be there. I've been very fortunate that the universe hasn't had to do it much lately. But when I was younger, uh, I would get my comeuppance every so often if I got too big for my britches. And I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also grateful for the thousands, and I mean this, thousands of people who have played a part and a role in my being here with you today. I wouldn't be here right now with you talking about your website, 
bluestartemple.org or the work that you're doing or your empathy activation cards or uh, evolution, the evolutionary, evolutionary empath, empath, if it weren't for all those people? Uh, do you think that that is starting to change where people are starting to recognize that they aren't where they are because of everything they did. Now, granted, we could discuss choices, and I've, all of the choices I've made have put me right here talking with you. That, that is probably true, too. But in terms of the support team, shall we say, it's made up of thousands, and it grows each day. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about yeah. that. And, and I would say that support team is humans in bodies, as well as the etheric ones, <laughs> you know, the, and I think that our, our intention matters, right? It's like the universe is up there with their pad of paper, just waiting to fulfill your order. But our job is to get clear about what we want and, and to have enough focus to have an intention and, and stay the course for those energies to generate enough to pick up their own momentum. So there, there's a concept I've been aware of that I, I try more and more to embrace, which is that, that, that universal cosmic wave that is, that is sort of carrying you along, right? If you, if you're in alignment and you're not fighting and you recognize that there's more to creation, right? There's, there's you as the, as the beginning point with your intention or your vision, but then that energy radiates out and it's like a a clarion call that calls everything that is resonant to that vision to you like a magnet Mm. to manifest. And, and so, you know, that is, that is a mystery. I am in process of learning (laughs) much better than I used to be, but I am so clear that there are forces holding me up, carrying me, that there are machinations happening behind the scenes that I'm not even aware of. She is Stephanie Redfeather. I am Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. You are listening to the program that brings you new paradigms for a new world, and we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Some of the other things I'd like to talk about before we before we run out of time, uh, <clears throat> I'm curious about this concept, uh, and that is uh, spiritual bias. I've always considered that if I am coming from a spiritual perspective, and let's just say being led by my still small voice, et cetera, et cetera, that there is no bias, there's no judgment. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not trying to get one up over on anybody else. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm suppressing my ego per se, because we do need the ego. That's part of who and what we are, too. Uh, but what is spiritual bias? Yeah, I'm not sure I have a a, a, <laughs> a well-practiced uh, answer for you because that's not actually something that I've talked about or contemplated much. Um, uh, what I do know is as human beings, we can try with as much consciousness as possible to be neutral, 
to not have attachment to an idea or perspective or an outcome. And the truth of the matter is we all have some kind of bias. And so whether or not spiritual bias exists, um, I'm not sure I have a whole lot more to, to say on the matter. Otherwise, I would just be kind of making it up because it's not really something that, that I've talked about much. <laughs> I, I understand. No, and that's just fine. I've, I've never... Uh, I've I've never wanted a guest to uh, ex- uh, to elucidate on anything that they weren't uh, either a comfortable elucidating on or b didn't have a lot of knowledge on it, which is fine. But it does spur thought. It does spur conversation. Uh, you know, I still like to think that there are moments in our lives where we actually do see things from an objective perspective. Uh, in spite of the, the scientific evidence that says that, you know, if we're conducting an experiment, we are, effect, we, in effect, are affecting that experiment. Uh, there's a, that, that great story that you hear, uh, these, this group of scientists trying to repeat the results of an experiment. And they get a different result every time, and they couldn't figure out why for the longest time. And then it dawned on them, oh, yeah, it's us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I just find that interesting. One other thing I want to talk about before we uh, bring this to a close, and I thank you for giving us so much time here, our interconnectedness. I've used the example of Star Trek's The Borg. And again, I'm speaking sp- strictly, strictly from a, an infrastructural way, okay? Not the malefic, uh, evil uh, uh, content. Okay. Each one of them is an individual. They're all, each one of them has different abilities. Each one of them carries out a different task, but they're getting information from a single source. In our case, We'd like to think that we're getting our information through our still small voice, through the angels, through the guides, etc., etc., from the divine, whatever that may be to an individual. And that your task isn't my task and vice versa. But when we are following that still small voice and doing the things that we're being guided to do, we are contributing to and participating in the big picture. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'd like for you to talk to us about how not only we are connected, but how that connection affects the people around us who may not be so aware of their connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a complex concept. Um and consciousness has a lot to do with that, right? If you're not aware of the connectedness, you're not going to experience it as such, if that makes sense. Or there, there's more of an experience of separation or us and them, um, which is also just part of the human construct at this point in our evolutionary development is, mm. you know, still remembering uh, what we all forgot. Yeah. Um, But one of the things I talk about in my evolutionary empath book is that how we are in human form is different than how we are in spirit form, if you will, or or energetic form when we're, when we are not in form, Mm -hmm. but yet in, in a body, 
for many of us, there's a part of us that remembers what it's like in spirit form where we are all connected. We are all one. We're all very aware of that connection. You can think of another person if you want to think of it that way and they immediately are there or you're connected with them like you know the the idea of boundaries like we talk about in the 3d doesn't exist in the same way and so the human world can be very confounding especially for a lot of people who are sensitive because we're like it worked differently when we were in, you know, when we were not informed. This is really weird down here. And so there is this simultaneous concept of you and I are one, but we are not the same. Mm. And so that is a concept that I that I share, I talk about it in my book because it's important and it's okay that you have your own sovereign energy field that you are distinct and differentiated from other people around you in terms of having your own ideas, having your own beliefs, having the right to take up space and to have your own thoughts and beliefs and to choose who you let into that world. So in that way, we're distinct and different. We are not the same and that is perfectly okay. While at the same time, we are all connected because we are all energy beings. And so it's almost like there's all of these energetic, you know, cords that are just sort of attached to everybody. And you you pluck one end of the string and whoever is attached to it is going to feel that vibration, whether they're conscious of it or not, which is why one of the concepts that I talk about with a lot of clients and students is when we make a big change you know, have a transformation, you know, make decisions that, okay, this is, I'm letting go of these old belief systems, or I'm I'm choosing to be this way, or I'm claiming my voice, or whatever it is, our energetic signature changes distinctly. And what is no longer in resonance with us is now in dissonance. And so that dissonance is going to vibrate all of those disharmonious things up to the surface to be dealt with, which could be relationships. It could be people blowing up around you, accusing you of things. Because when we, it's human nature to want to keep ourselves, keep everybody we know in a box, right? We want, there's comfort in the predictability and the dependability of I'm going to say this and they're going to say that. And here's how, yeah, they like this. They don't like that. They're, you know, there's security and safety and you staying in your box. But when your vibration changes, you leave your box. <laughs> yeah. And then everybody else is like, hey, get back in your box. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it's very interesting. The, the subtle changes, like, for example, I did a cord cutting with a woman whose relationship with her husband was coming to an end. They were not living together. He was many miles away, did a cord cutting. Minutes later, he called out of the blue. Hey, I was thinking about you. How's it going? Mm. Clearly, he felt the energetic shift, even though he had no conscious idea. Not, you know, it didn't register in his mind. Hey, somebody just cut the cords. I better call. It was just for him, probably just as random, but it, but it shows the, it's an example of just how connected we all are. It is. And, and, and people need to, so to speak, get with the program and recognize that. I love some of these uh, TV shows and movies that will start out showing multiple stories 
and they're totally independent of one another. And as the movie progresses, these stories start to cross and intertwine. And you never thought, you, you, it's almost like you didn't see it coming kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I've always uh, uh, loved that concept in a program like that. <clears throat> I was watching one uh, with a young kid, curly-headed kid, uh, and it was a TV show. And I wish I could remember the name of the show. Um, but it was, it was just fascinating to, to see how uh, these, these independent stories came together over the course of the program, over the course of time. And that's what happens in our lives. I mean, it's amazing. Sometimes you'll have a fleeting moment with someone. I, I was walking down the street, a not, uh, you know, about a year or so ago. So this one guy was carrying this book and I was just, I was behind him just far enough. Uh, but I noticed the title and it rather intrigued me. So I kind of caught up to him and I said, I noticed the book that you're carrying, da, 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 da. And we had a little brief conversation. And it's been said from a metaphysical and spiritual uh, construct that the people that you interact with, no matter how briefly or how long uh, you have been interacting with, lifetimes on infinitum maybe, you know, going back millennia, who knows, uh, but that they are part of what's referred to in uh, Life Between Lives as your cluster. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that. I, I just, you know, and I... I don't know about you, uh, Stephanie, I can go into a room filled with people and I can start just carrying on a conversation with somebody. You walk up and say hello and how are you? And it's funny, too, because sometimes I'll, I'll walk into the room at first and I'm a little shy. I don't know. Oh, I don't know if I want. I'm going to get a drink first and I'm just going to sit over here in the corner. And, and after a while, it's like boring. You know, it's like this is no fun, you know. And I want to get to know people and I like uh, and, and who knows, I may find a guest for the program who's got a great, great story to tell about the work that they're doing to transform their lives and the lives of the people around them. And that's what you're doing. And we thank you for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it, Richard. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan. And. We've come to uh, the virtual end of our program. I say virtual because it could go on for hours, for all I know. But we're going to bring it to an end by asking you, Stephanie, the three questions that I like to ask my guests. You may have addressed them to some degree during the program, uh, but I like to ask them directly. Before I do that, though, I want to talk to you, the listener and the viewer. And thank you for listening to and viewing and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We do come your way every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Mondays at 1 a.m. and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We also encourage you to listen to the podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. We also hope that you'll go to YouTube and watch the Tell Me Your Story interviews. They are on video. I produce them up and post them, and away we go. And I thank you for subscribing. I'm at a whopping 41 subscribers since... uh, what is it? July of this year? But that's okay. I'm not looking to I'm not looking to get to a million or a hundred thousand or a hundred for that matter. Whoever wants to subscribe, subscribe. I'm grateful that we're at fifty-one thousand listens over the past almost uh what would it be? Four years, three years, three years, uh, 2018, uh 1920. Eh, that's right, four years. 
I, I never I never claimed to be a mathematician, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, needless to say, 51,000, that's a heck of a lot of listens. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing so. And if you are so inclined, we would greatly appreciate financial support from you if you can do so. If you can, go to PayPal. And when they ask you for an email address to send it to, it's richard at richarddugan.com. Richard at richarddugan.com. And participate in. We don't ask a lot. But we do ask you to participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Listen to that still small voice. Listen to your angels. Listen to your, uh, your guides and your guardians. And just sit there and be still and be quiet. And maybe there's no instruction. Maybe it's just words of encouragement to support you and lift you up. And uh, maybe it's just a time to be quiet. So as one of my guests has said, even if it's just for 60 seconds. So... We hope that you'll do that. To my final three questions, and every time I do this, I feel like I'm on a game show as we're doing the bonus round. <laughs> ah, yes. Who is Stephanie Redfeather? Huh. Uh, an evolutionary being who uh, changes from second to second. <laughs> What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? My biggest focus is to support other sensitive souls in their awakening and their conscious thriving on planet Earth um, and, and to <laughs> make all of my difficulties um, turn into ease for them. And finally... What is your life's purpose? Mm. Uh, to help raise consciousness on the planet. And we thank you for being there to do that. We're working in concert with you to do just that through these programs. And we thank you for giving us so much time here on the program. You're very welcome. And we thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.